So one of my daughters was in band, and we went to all of the middle school band concerts that you go to where, you know, there's a lot of noise, okay? Because they're just learning musical instruments and how to work together. And when she got into band her freshman year with a different band director and a different set of circumstances, she couldn't do marching band because ballet and marching band was too much. So um, we didn't know this at the time, but the band had a thing where if you didn't do marching band, they just kind of didn't consider you part of the band. And the way we found out is that we went to the spring banquet uh, after concert season, and we walk into the cafeteria, and there are these round tables, and every table has about five people at the table and two or three empty seats. And I've got my daughter in my arm, and we walk in, and we come to the first table, and she tells me, oh, I know these people, and we talk to them a little bit, and they say, oh, I'm sorry, these, we're saving these seats, these seats are taken, no problem. We go to the next table, and again, these, we're saving these seats, these seats are taken. And we do this through eight different tables. Now, if you're a father and you have a daughter, right, there are these moments where dad the bear comes out, right? And dad the bear made an appearance. And I pulled her aside to the side of the room and I said, right now, we will go anywhere. I will drive to Cincinnati and take you to a five-star restaurant. Any place you want to go, you name it. Boom, we're out of here. I cannot handle this. And she says, no, I, I really, it's, I'm in this band. I, I, like, I want to stay, right? And so we sit at a table by ourselves for the banquet, right? And so I just want to say to you that I know what it is to sometimes feel not welcome, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, right? Um, when Jenny and I moved to Lexington area, so we actually moved to Nicholasville from a place outside of Chicago called Wheaton. So we went from Wheaton to Nicholasville. Woo, what a change. And, and we were visiting churches, and someone that Jenny taught with had recommended a church on the south side of Lexington, not going to name it. And this is back in the day, so this is the early 1990s, and it was... Uh, ju late July, early August, I was in a full, like I had khakis and a blue sport coat and a tie. Jenny had on a Laura Ashley dress because you dressed up for Jesus back then, right? And so um, we, we go to this church. It's a beautiful sunny day when we, when we leave and when we get into the, the service. And sometime during the 65-minute service, the heavens opened up. <laughs> And it was a downpour. And that thunderstorm wasn't going anywhere. It was just parked right there on the south side of Lexington. And so we waited in the lobby along with everyone else for five minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes, 25 minutes go by. And I didn't bring in an umbrella. I wasn't willing to ruin my leather penny loafers. And Jenny wasn't willing to get her dress all wet. And so we waited. But no one said anything to us. Now, when you're new, you don't necessarily want to be mobbed, but like then there's the other extreme, which is ignored, right? And so there's that thing that played out. And so again, I know what it is to sometimes feel not welcome. Now, here's the thing. All churches like to think that um, they are friendly, welcoming, and inviting. All churches like to think that. 
We like to think that. Like every church in Nicholasville, I promise, if you were to ask them, are you a friendly church? Oh, we're such a friendly church. Are you a welcoming church? Absolutely, we're like the most welcoming church there is. Are you an inviting church? Oh my goodness, we are so inviting. And so they would be all over it. The thing is, insiders don't get to determine what level that really is. It's outsiders get to determine it, right? So if you're new, so ask anyone who's new. They can tell you the degree of friendliness, welcoming, and inviting that you are. And some things that sometimes trip people up in church land, right? So you go someplace new and there's no signage or poor signage. Where do I go? Where's the restroom? Where are the kids' areas, right? Um, there are sometimes things that play out where if you show up and you're not dressed according to the church culture, you know, there's that awkward, you know, I should have not had the three-piece suit or I should have had the three-piece suit or any kind of thing like that, okay? Um, there's the, you don't want to be mobbed. So uh, back when Jenny and I were dating, the way that happened if somebody was new to a church, um, this is what we did. Uh, they would make an announcement from the pulpit, which was really high up. And then you had to slip up your hand and then somebody would come from the back of the sanctuary and they would come and they would give the lady something for her wrist and the gentleman would get a, a rose that would go on the lapel of your suit so that just like the scarlet A for the rest of the service, everybody would have no doubt, oh, you knew today? I see the rose. <laughs> you know, it was one of those kinds of things, okay? So here's the thing. God actually wants us to be a welcoming church. And by that, I mean an inviting church because welcoming is a little bit more passive. Inviting is a little bit more active. And he wants that because God wants to reach all people. And that includes people who are like you, who like the things that you like, who vote the way that you vote. And believe it or not, it includes people who are not like you at all, who despise the things that you like, who think Doctor Who is the worst invention ever in the history of sci-fi, and they will debate it with you for hours, right? And who vote the opposite the way you vote. And so we see God's passion for this in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10. And, and I'm going to take a risk, and I want to read the entire passage for you. I know Brian did this a few weeks ago, but scripture in the early days of the church was meant to be heard and spoken when the church was gathered together as a community. And, and there's so much going on. And, and if I were to do, what's that word? Fidelity to the text, I would need about six sermons to really unpack Acts 10. And we just don't have time. Okay. So, but we're going to, we're going to read through it. And so in this chapter, you're getting a sense that the gospel is for everyone, that Jesus is for everyone, and that God is inviting everyone to get in on what he's doing through Jesus Christ, okay? And we see that in Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to put up a little summary from the Bible Project, and we're in this section in the middle right here, and I'm going to read this passage. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was devout, a God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming to him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. 
Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called out two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was perplexed. What could the vision mean? Then, just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa, and they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up! I'm a human being just like you. So they started talking together and went inside, where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know, it's against the laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or, or to associate with you, but... But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me, why did you send for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me and he told me, Cornelius, your prayers... Uh, your gifts to the poor and your prayer has been heard and noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now, now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And here it comes. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all here who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him by death by hanging on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. 
We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, living and dead. He's the one the prophets testified about, that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon them who were listening. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter asked, can anyone really object to their being baptized? So that, I mean, now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did, so they gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a couple of people in this chapter. The first is Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion stationed in Caesarea, which is a port city on the Mediterranean Sea, and it unlocks all of Israel and Palestine. Caesarea is a warmer place than Jerusalem, especially during the winter. And so if you're a soldier and you're stationed in Caesarea, it means they think highly of you. You're trusted. You're a solid person. We know this in the United States Army. There are good posts and bad posts. Hey, I hear you're going to South Korea. Ha, 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 ha. Right? There are good posts and bad posts. And depending upon how you do in training and other things, you can get a good post or a not so good post. And it worked that way in the Roman Empire with the Roman legions. So as a centurion, Cornelius would have been in charge of 100 men. There were six cohorts there in Caesarea, so 600 men, and they were part of a legion of 6,000. Luke tells us four things about Cornelius. First, he was devout. That meant he serves God, and he encourages everyone in his household to do the same. Luke tells us he was a God-fearing man, which meant that he worshiped the God of Israel, the one true God, not the Roman stuff that was here, there, and everywhere, and that he obeyed the moral law. It, because he was just a God-fearing man, it meant that he didn't do the ceremonial things, and he wasn't circumcised. Luke also tells us that he gave generously. That's the third thing. In other words, for the Jews of the first century, almsgiving to the poor was a sign of your piety and holiness. So clearly, this is someone who's walking with God. And lastly, he prayed regularly. And at this moment, he's doing it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the same time that the public prayers are being offered at the temple in Jerusalem. Coincidence? Eh, I don't think so. This guy wants to follow and serve the one true God. Peter is the other person in chapter 10. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the three who, disciples who clearly had a special relationship with Jesus. Peter is the one that Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Everyone in the early uh, church among the followers of the way looked to Peter for leadership. What, which, what should we do? Peter, tell us, right? So they look to Peter for leadership. Luke is giving us an indication that God is working to shift Peter's thinking about something because of what happens in the previous chapter. Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, long time in Joppa. Where is he staying? With Simon the tanner. You know what a tanner does? A tanner works with the skins of 
dead animals. You know anything about Jewish law, you know that, whoa, hey, dead stuff, stay away. Unclean, unclean. And so God is preparing Peter for a shift in his thinking by having him stay with Simon the tanner. What shift? Well, the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews. The Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah is not just King of the Jews. He is King of kings and Lord of lords of everyone, not just the Jews. So everything leads to this moment in the home of Cornelius where Peter says in verse 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Now, the Jews, the Jews avoided Romans because Romans ate pork, no bueno. The Jews also avoided Romans because, and I, I hate to say this, but it's true, uh, many Roman women would uh, do abortions, okay? And so they would take the fetuses and they would stuff them down the drains of their homes or under the floorboards of the house, a dead thing, right? And so if you're a Jew, like you don't even want to enter the home of a Roman because you don't know what's lurking in that house, okay? So Jews avoided Romans. Romans, on the other hand, looked at Jews as being real stuck up. Oh, you don't eat pork, which by the way is the cheapest meat available. Must be nice to have steak and lamb all the time. You know, I have to shop at Save-A-Lot. Hmm, what's it like to go to Whole Foods? Hashtag whole paycheck, right? So there's, there's this thing that's playing out. And the other thing that the Romans kind of thought was weird and added to the stuck-up quality of the Jews is that they took a Sabbath once every seven days. Everyone else in the Roman world, the way life works is you get up and you work. You go to bed. You know what you do the next day? You get up and you work. You know what you do the next day? You get up and you work. Is it beginning to sound like America? <laughs> okay, that's the way the Roman world worked. And that there was a group of people who thought they were so special that they would just do nothing once a day. Must be nice. Must be nice. So you're catching a little bit of the animosity and dynamics that played out between Jews and Romans, okay? And Peter's vision in this chapter, which has to do with creepy crawly animals and all this stuff tied to Leviticus 11, is it really about food? No, it's about people. God's wanting him to see something about people. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Now, this isn't our 2019 concept of tolerance. Okay, so since I'm teaching on this passage and since we're Americans and since it's 2019, I need to say this. It's not that Peter was tolerant of Cornelius. And it's not that Cornelius became tolerant of Peter. Tolerance has to do with accepting people as they are. And if that was the case, if Cornelius was acceptable as he was, why send Peter? Why send him to tell and talk about Jesus? If Cornelius was just as fine, just the way he was, why would Cornelius submit to baptism in the lordship of Jesus, right? This isn't tolerance. I love what Professor Wright says about this. He says, God does not accept us as we are. He invites us as we are. 
And if we accept God's invitation, what happens is we become like all the people we read about in the book of Acts. We repent and are forgiven. We submit to baptism and we're given God's spirit to fill us and seal us. Okay? So there's an important distinction there. And you see this time and time again in Acts. Someone repents, they're forgiven, they're baptized, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So in light of God's invitation that apparently includes people that Peter would have never even associated with, let me ask a question. Who are the Gentiles in your life? You've got them. Come on. They're the people who are the sports fans. Or they're the people who are like, it's all Star Wars, baby. Right? It's something. Who are the Gentiles in your life? And by that, I mean the types of people who, by and large, are not welcome at your table. And we all have them. The second question is, how do we welcome all? How do we invite all? And really, that becomes, how do I welcome and invite others? What does that look like? So I want to make this practical, okay? So the first thing I would ask of you is actually something probably your pastors never in any other church has told you to do. Go visit another church. Sometime this year, pick a Sunday, go be new someplace. And if that's too scary and you're like, I can't handle that, Max, then go to the parent-teacher association at school or a Kiwanis club meeting, someplace where you're the outsider and you're new so that you kind of understand again what that feels like, right? So visit another church or do something where you're new and you're an outsider. The second thing is for those of us at Generations who are like insiders and we're part of the family and we're partners, I want to remind you that there's three ingredients needed. Um, when it comes to inviting all and welcoming all. And the first is an investment of your time. It takes time. I know we're all busy in America, but because time is the most important commodity that you have, when you give your time to someone else, they know it matters. They do. Some, isn't it true that sometimes you'll actually be thanked just because you gave somebody your time and your attention? Thank you so much, right? So... Uh, the second thing is safety. And this has to do with um, asking questions and not judging them based on what they say, allowing them to express what they think where they are. Uh, there's safety that we, that we create. But then that opens the door for truth. Eventually, God's word is going to become part of the dynamic. So with Peter and Cornelius, what happens? Peter shows up and what does Peter start talking about? Jesus, 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 right? So you can't hide or run from Jesus. He's going to come up. <laughs> He's going to come up. Truth is eventually going to come up, okay? And so understand that that's part of it, and it's going to be part of the conversation. The last thing, uh, if you're an insider here, once every 60 days, shake it up a little. Sit someplace else. Sit, sit by somebody you don't know. And here's the kicker. When you're sitting by somebody you don't know, and you, hi, my name's Max, what's your name? Josh. Hi, Josh. Let me, come here for a second, Josh. I want you to meet Don. Don, this is Josh. Now, what may happen is that Don will say, I already know Josh, and you know what you can say? Oh, that's wonderful. 
But it's that extra step of not just sitting by somebody you don't know, but introducing them to somebody you do know, okay? So those are some practical things that I think we can take as we try to be a, a, an inviting church. And again, all churches like to think they are. And, and, and so uh, I know this works out because of an experience I had at the Firebrook swim team. So when the kids first started swimming, we didn't know that there was a team in Nicholasville. So we got in the car and we drove up to Firebrook. Now, at the time, we lived in a teeny tiny house. And I remember when Firebrook was being built, the billboard said this, estate living for those who can afford to choose. Which meant that when we drove in, I did not feel like I was getting together with my people. <laughs> okay. okay, There was a lot of intimidation that went into going into Firebrook and swimming with Firebrook. And I remember some of the first practices uh, there was a, one of the bigger churches in Lexington and almost their entire staff swam at that swim team and they were around this one table and there were all these other tables and, and you know, when you're new, you're like, where do I sit? Where do I go? Like, how does this work? And there was one table off in the corner and the lady, hey, are you new? Yes. Come sit down. Okay. Now that table was the table of misfits for the Firebrook swim team. It had the team drunk. He, he was plastered morning, noon, night, didn't matter. He was half here and half somewhere else. The lesbian couple that, again, you know, 15 years ago had a little bit more impact to it, right? And, and so misfits, but you know what? I sat down and, and the first person to want to talk to me is one of the two members that are part of the lesbian couple, right? what do you do? Uh, yeah, you're not going to want to hear this. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Really? No judgment at all. Tell me more, blah, 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 blah. And we strike up a conversation. I could not have been made to feel more welcome. Uh, I know this sometimes plays out, um, so I hope it's the case for our church 10 years after I'm gone that was true even just a couple of years ago. So Jenny had one of her friends uh, from her various swimming engagements uh, and roles show up at Generations and she got involved in a small group and she was attending regularly. But one of her friends thought better of it and pulled her aside to give her a stern warning. And she was told this, I know about that generation's community church and I know about those people and you need to be careful. Why? They will let anyone in. Let me say that again. You need to be careful of that generation's community church and you need to watch out for them. Why? They will let anyone in. Again, I hope and pray that after I'm long gone and you have Pastor Billy Ricky or whoever or Julie, Julie Ruley, okay, whatever pastor comes after me, that, you, that it will still be the case that that generation's community church, you need to watch out for them. Why? Because they will let anyone in. Here's the thing, and Peter says it right here. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. 
we shouldn't either.